from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And, of course, our telephone number, if you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do so. 833-482-5337-8334, Valdez. Now, it is the uh, Tuesday night edition of the program. And, uh, of course, like we do every Tuesday. I'm kidding. We don't do that every Tuesday. <laughs> Only when it's in the news. Uh, but there's... And it's Wednesday. I, I, trust me, you're going to get used to this. I'm really never, ever going to know what day of the week it is. When you work at night, you never really recover. Anyway, so it is Wednesday. And on Wednesdays, like we normally do on Wednesdays, just kidding, we talk about UFOs, what they call UAPs. Now you're thinking, why do we talk about UFOs? I don't do it, right? I do it every now and again. Well, the reason why is because there was an actual hearing in Congress today. Now I can tell you, me about, I don't know, 10, 12, 15, maybe 18 years ago, I likely would have said it's unbelievable that we have Congress sitting here conducting hearings, interviewing people, wasting time when we have so much to talk about. And we're worried about aliens and alien aircraft and and blah, blah, blah. And here I am, you know, two decades, a decade and a half later, whatever. And uh, I haven't really changed my opinion that much, but I understand that we need some oversight because uh, if you don't watch what they do in in Washington, they'll just keep spending money and spending money and spending money. And that's really my concern, right? As you guys know, I'm a, I'm an advocate for standing by Ukraine and defending them like we agreed to do when we disarmed them um, back in the 80s into the 90s. And it's not that I'm a fan of Zelensky or Poroshenko, or any of those characters. I just think we have to keep our word. And in the same way, I think we have to do the right thing when it comes to spending money on UFOs, UAPs, and whatever. You know, this is an argument I've had my brother on many occasions. He would tell me, oh, Richie, wait till people find out. Wait till the full disclosure comes. And I said, and what full disclosure are we talking about? And he would tell me, the full disclosure about the aliens. That, you know, they're here. And I would say, well, we've literally had cartoons about aliens. We've had, I don't know, uh, television shows, sitcoms. I mean, aliens have been around forever and a day as part of our popular culture. Flying saucers, all of the above. So I don't know why he thought that people would be shocked. I know I would not be shocked. If in these hearings, all right, so today this was like a bombshell hearing, right? Here, listen to the headline. Ex-Intel officer claims that the feds absolutely have UFOs, bodies of non-human origin, during bombshell hearing. Now, if this were really a bombshell, this would have blown up my social media. Every apolitical person that follows me on social media, my rapper friends, you name it, anybody, anywhere, would have been like, oh my gosh, there's UFOs. The problem is, nobody cares. I don't think anybody's ever cared about the UFOs. Right? It's just an interesting story from the 50s. 
And I'm not saying I don't think they're real. I'm saying I think they're here. They've been here from since before I was here. And it doesn't matter. They've never made me a dollar. And they've never, uh, you know, made really any interaction with me. So what do I care? Now, I think some people might care because they've had some interaction. But ultimately, I really don't care. And, and if you do, let me know. Maybe I'm alone in this. I am very cynical on, on a number of things. But let us uh, listen to the former Air Force officer and intelligence official, uh, David Grush. And he was a national reconnaissance officer for the Pentagon's Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Task Force, which is what their fancy name for UFOs, they call them UAPs. Listen to this. Intelligent extraterrestrials. Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Thank you. And I yield back. All right, again, that's Congresswoman Nancy Mace and uh, David Grush, former National Reconnaissance Officer for the Pentagon's Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Task Force. Now, what's interesting here, again, is, all right, so it's on the record. You have this guy, he's blowing the whistle on the fact that the government is hiding captured UFOs. This is a story that has gone back to, I don't know, what's that, Roswell, New Mexico, Area 51, where they're saying, that they've been doing it then. There's Captain America, the whole movie. So listen, uh, I, I can't begin to tell you how I, I just don't see how anybody is shocked or surprised by this. If I'm alone, please give me a call, 8334-VALDEZ, because I, I really am not shocked. Uh, if you feel that this is shocking, I'd love to t hear your opinion on it. It's not something that, that surprises me in the least. Now, what did surprise me was that Hunter Biden hit a bump in the road today when he showed up to show face at his his uh, sentencing hearing and his plea deal uh, wasn't accepted because the judge said this wasn't met or this condition wasn't met and whatnot. And they said, uh, we, we want to deal. You know, and all of a sudden, at the last minute, the lawyers for Biden and the prosecutors no longer agreed on the deal. And I thought that was interesting because... You know, typically from what I've understood from uh, those that I know in law enforcement and, and my conversations with them, that you don't typically 
sign a plea deal and everybody uh, agrees to it, then bring it to a judge to say, all right, let's put it on the docket and go for it unless everybody's agreed. But yet that seems to have happened. So, you know, one of the things that I, I enjoy about this job and my career in radio is both as a producer and as a, as a broadcaster, as a host, is that I've met a lot of people along the way, and I love it when we can call somebody in as an expert and they can tell us what's going on. So straight ahead, we're going to bring in our buddy Doug Burns. He's been on the show plenty of times providing legal analysis. He's a former chief of the criminal division for the Department of Justice, a federal prosecutor. And um, we're going to learn, was this normal? Was it not normal? Stick around and find out. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, I know many people have been following the news in Delaware today and have and we're going to have a lot of questions. And so here's what I'll say at the top before I turn it over to uh, my colleague, the Admiral. Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and this was a personal matter for him. As we have said, the president, the first lady, they love their son and they support him as he continues to rebuild his life. This case was handled independently, as all of you know, by the Justice Department under the leadership of a prosecutor appointed by the former president, President Trump. So for anything further, as you know, and we've been very consistent from here, I'd refer you to the Department of Justice and to Hunter's representatives, uh, who is his legal team, obviously, who can address any of your questions. Let me tell you, today, right down the time, right down the minute, even the second marker, I am going to say that Karine Jean-Pierre did her job today. That is how I would have answered the same question. If I was trying to protect my, my boss's son, I would say the same thing. He loves his kid. His kid's trying to rebuild his life. Sympathy vote. He was, he's a recovering addict. He's rebuilding. We're asking for privacy right now. He's, he's a private citizen. He's going through something. Wouldn't you want that for your own kid? I would make the same exact appeal. And then I would say, listen, not my yab. Not my job. Talk to the DOJ. Talk to this one. And by the way, it's a Trump uh, United States attorney. I would I would have done the exact same thing. So I think for the first time, she must be getting better at her job. She must be under a lot of pressure. Maybe it's uh, finally the experience catching up. But the real answer is, she said, I won't answer any questions. <laughs> She's not answering any questions, which is what the American people want. They want, and, and our representatives in the media, we're looking for information on what is going on? Because if Hunter did those things and he is a money launderer and he did violate Farah and he does have a gun and all these other crazy things, right? Not have a gun, but, you know, lie about it on the application. Then maybe there is complicity with Joe Biden. Maybe there is a problem in the White House. Maybe these things that we're, we're learning about these FBI forms, FD 1023, maybe there's truth to this bribery scandal. And that is the American people's problem, right? That is our business. So uh, while these things are separate, I think they're somewhat intertwined. And I want to get to the bottom of what happened today, because today, not only were there UFO hearings in Congress, but it was this hearing that was paused and then they were throwing out the plea and they couldn't agree on the plea. And yet last night 
Of course, they said, well, the, this girl called and we couldn't identify how she knew what she was talking about. So we took information out. Oh, we didn't mean to take it out. Oh, so sorry. We're putting it back. The judge got involved. I mean, these are things that I'm not familiar with. But Doug Burns, who's a former chief of the criminal division in New York uh, for the Department of Justice, he was um, a federal prosecutor for something like 38 years. Uh, he's done this stuff hands down a million times. And he's our guest, Doug Burns. Welcome. Thank you, Rich. Great to be on with you. So, I mean, I'm sure you've been following this because this is, you know, this is your thing. This is your bag. It's what you yep. do. Um, yep. You know, maybe if you don't mind, let's just go to last night, even though there was so much today with the we're not doing the plea, we're revising the plea, we don't agree on the plea. But how the way it was reported last night from your estimation as an insider, yeah, would, would you say it was accurate? Well, first of all, it wasn't all that clear, and I was joking around to myself that the famous, you know, Abbott and Costello, who's on first routine, was clearer <laughs> than, than seriously, Rich, than what they were reporting about this. But to that went through my head. For, yeah, oh, good. Uh, we're kindred spirits. But to unpack it for your uh, audience, et cetera, what happened apparently was a congressional committee wanted to get into the record. Um, a lot of the information, you know, the whistleblower stuff, information that's been developed in Congress because they felt it was relevant to help the judge. Now, in fairness, they did it as what we call amicus. They're not a party to the right, a friend of the to, court, to the friend of the court. Exactly. And they're not a party. And that's discretionary with the judge, by the way, whether or not she, in this case, wants to take that information in. But then in a shocking development, which I don't get over my ski tips on, because I don't know 100% where the truth is, but the allegation was seriously, Rich, that somebody called who was affiliated with a law firm affiliated on the defense side, the Hunter Biden side, and made it sound sort of misidentified herself as being a representative with the actual congressional committee and claimed to the clerk uh, that the committee actually for confidentiality and potential grand jury secrecy violation issues wanted that material, you know, removed, you know, from the court file. It's actually pretty shocking. So if it's true, that's a serious, serious matter because you don't call up a court um, and identify yourself as being affiliated with the other side of litigation, when in fact you're not on that side, you're on the reverse side. So that was pretty serious. Then, of and course, so serious that the judge gets involved. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, jogging my memory on that, Rich. No joke. Because what happened was there we were sitting seven eight p.m. last night, and they're like, the judge has given them till nine p.m. tonight to show cause, what we call an order to show cause, to show cause why they shouldn't be sanctioned for this behavior. Then there was a whole flurry of emails and stuff. And they went right to the whole toxic environment playbook, which is muddy everything up, make it really vague and non-understandable. Oh, this was a misunderstanding. No, she really didn't misidentify herself. And when the smoke clears, I'm a 38-year veteran, as you pointed out, you know, and I'm having trouble following it. So you can imagine the average member of the public, you know, trying to right. drink in what's going on. So that was a disgrace. But the point now, is, let me ask you, Doug Burns, real quick, because uh, sure, this, to me, this is interesting. Very. I've never sure. heard of anything like this. I could see yep. how it works because I've been in politics and that seems like a political trick, but they're doing it in court. And I didn't know lawfare and politics were that uh, intertwined. Well, but we they seem to be as of late. <laughs> yeah, you might find this interesting. We had this exact thing in the Eastern District of New York one time. 
we had a legendary judge, John Bartels, who served well into his 90s. It was quite amazing, and he was really sharp still. I think like till like 96 years old. I knew the judge a little. I only had a couple of cases in front of him. And lo and behold, the judge was actually away on vacation. He was on a cruise ship, and this lawyer was hysterically calling chambers and all this stuff. And the lawyer then produced a document claiming that the judge had signed it, you know, the court order, while on vacation, and the judge never did. And you can imagine that that lawyer got in serious, serious heap of trouble. So, you know, calling the clerk's office and doing something untoward, the good news is it's it's rare, uh, but it can happen and it does happen. So this really was outrageous attempt to get all that congressional information out of the hands of this particular judge handling the plea, Rich. All right, so now that's where we were last night, right? And we kind of went through that. And I just wanted to recap that because sure. I feel like that brings us into today, right? So you see Hunter Biden Absolutely. walking in and everybody's there, you know, waiting with bated breath and looking at all the coverage on television. And then yep. the next thing you know, they say, hold on, there's a new development. The, yep. the prosecution and the defense team don't agree on the plea deal. Now I'm yep. thinking that's like showing up to a real estate closing and going, oh, that's not what I agreed to. I mean, again, that may happen, but it's very rare because analogy. you you yeah. you iron this, you pay people. I'm paying lawyers to make sure this doesn't happen. Every case I've ever been in, hundreds of cases on both sides of the courtroom, prosecutor and defense, you hammer out the plea agreement and all of it. And that's a great analogy with the real estate thing, um, because in a real estate contract, oh, yes, you, we're going to leave this item. You know, we're going to remove that toilet. OK, fine. Same thing with a plea agreement. You hammer it out. And the most important thing in a plea agreement, and I think everybody really will find this interesting because <clears throat> it cuts through a lot of the noise. First of all, in reverse order, every plea agreement I've ever seen says, quote, this agreement binds only this federal district and no other and no other state, local or other prosecutorial offices. I've had client after client for 30 years, 20 years as a defense lawyer, ask me, Mr. Burns, wait a minute, I'm a little concerned. Could I be charged in another district? And I had the luxury, since they weren't political cases, Rich, of saying I have an academic answer that you will not like and I have a real world answer that you will. The academic answer is, unfortunately, we are required to agree to that term. But Doug Burns, don't, don't yes, let's not. I want to do this from the top again because I think this is very important stuff. And and I, I think it to me it sounds like it was amateur hour today in that courtroom. But I really want your your opinion on this because you're the pro here. Folks, we're on with Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor. We're coming right back. Eight three three four Valdez. Don't miss this. Eight three three four Valdez. Be right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. bad mistake here. Am I wrong looking at this saying that that these someone, whether it be Hunter Biden's defense or prosecutors here, 
How could there be such a big miscommunication? I cannot even begin to explain how the Justice Department walks into that courtroom without knowing exactly what the scope of immunity or coverage is for Hunter Biden. And equally, I cannot even begin to understand how Hunter Biden's lawyers walk him into that courthouse without knowing exactly what the constraints, what the limitations of that deal are. All right, that is CNN. And you can hear the incredulity in the in the host, John Berman's voice when he says that. I believe it. And again, usually only hear that level of incredulity when they say, how could people like Trump? But this is where we are, right? Uh, I agree. And this is where Doug Burns was walking us through this. Uh, they can't believe it on CNN. I certainly don't believe it over here. Doug Burns, you were just saying that in the 38 years of you being a federal prosecutor up to and including serving as chief of the criminal division in the Eastern District of New York, that is it commonplace for the prosecutors, the AUSAs to walk into a courtroom, the Department of Justice, the government, the state to walk in and for the uh, defense team to walk in and go before a judge without knowing what's going on? Of course not. I'm looking at a beautiful sketch of Sherlock Holmes, um, my sort of uh, <laughs> fictional hero. No, no joke. A gorgeous one by Al Hirschfeld, the great late sketch artist. But joking aside, Sherlock Holmes would say, what are you kidding me? First of all, yeah. these are highly, highly skilled lawyers on both sides. Top white, white shoe, white collar defense attorneys, top federal prosecutors who know their business. So the only possible inference is that both sides sort of working together. We're trying to slide through uh, an overly broad immunity situation. What I was explaining real quick, and it's worth repeating. Right. And, is, yeah, the music every, kicked yeah. in. You were saying everybody no, okay. says, every Mr. Burns, what happens? Yeah. Can I get double jeopardy? Every, right. Every plea agreement says that it only binds the district where the police being taken and no other. That causes clients justifiably, to say to their defense counsel all the time, well, wait a minute, I, guess I could be charged in another district? Answer is yes, you could. Not for the same crime, by the way. But, you know, there's always complicated potential exposures. And then I point out, though, that practically I've almost never seen anybody double charged. That's another side seminar, by the way, having to do with President Trump. It's completely laughable, the notion that somebody's under indictment in a white-collar case, nonviolent, non-narcotics, and now you're going to charge them again in another case? That's absurd. What you would right. do is the other district would get with the first district and say, look, we have this other case. What we'll do is we'll hold back as sort of an insurance policy. Okay, If necessary, we can get a waiver of the statute of limitations. Because, by the way, federal prosecutors say, if you don't give me the waiver, we're going to have to indict the case. And guess what? Of course, you get the waiver. But the point is, they would never double charge. So it doesn't happen. So here with Hunter Biden, though, since it's a toxic political case, everybody's going nuts on the idea of could they recharge him, et cetera, et cetera. So next is the immunity clause real quick. The immunity clause says in return for the plea of guilty by Hunter Biden um, for the two tax misdemeanors, and the deferred prosecution agreement on the allegation of lying on the gun form, he will not be charged further with fill in the blank. As I jokingly told my wife and I jokingly tell everybody, the normal immunization says he won't be charged. And you saw this, Rich, when they had to go back to the well this afternoon, and, and the reporting was pretty clear on cable that they've now agreed that the immunization is he won't be charged any further for tax charges or firearms, and that's it. Okay, that's the way it normally works. That right, also what, tells what he's getting in trouble for. 
Exactly. And that also tells Sherlock Holmes that they're trying to sneak in something overly broad. When I said about the jokes, I just mm. told my wife an hour ago, I said the, the immunization clause that they want, everybody here is, he'll be charged with no crime whatsoever from 550 B.C. till today. <laughs> it's like a presidential okay, now, pardon. Yeah, and joking aside, you never get that. You get narrow immunization clauses. So breaking this down, Sherlock Holmes-wise, in all seriousness, they walked in today, and you get the major kudos of all. Brilliant analysis. There's no way in a million years, Rich, that both sides didn't know exactly what the immunization scope was, okay? That is a so fundamental ABC. It's not even funny. So the next Sherlock Holmes point is, therefore, they were working together to try to hoodwink the court a little bit. And, and one former federal prosecutor, it's interesting, on Twitter, he, I don't know if you saw this, it was interesting, he gave a very detailed explanation of Rule 11 um, and getting in the weeds for the armchair researchers at home. Just look at Rule 11 of the Federal yeah, Rule Rules of Criminal Procedure. Rule 11 is submitting uh, per paperwork, uh, no? Plea. No, no, uh, governing all pleas. All, mm. all procedures having to do with the guilty plea. And if you look at... Section C, 11C, you have C1A, C1B, and C1C. And real quick, not to be all in the weeds, C1A says that, they, that the two sides can agree that the defendant won't be charged with other crimes, and it has to be spelled out. B is you can recommend a sentence, but the judge isn't required to impose it. C, which you never see in a million years, C1C, is an agreed-to sentence that if the court accepts the plea agreement, must impose that sentence. Now, they might have that in there. We haven't seen this plea agreement, okay? I remember standing on the steps with my pal Randy Zellin, well-known defense lawyer. We're in a case, and we said, maybe we'll get a C1C. And Ben Brofman, famous lawyer, he overheard us. He goes, guys, that's never happened in this building in the last 40 years. Okay, mm. so you don't get the C1C 11 because that's an agreed to sentence. Both sides agree that the sentence is provision because, by the way, Rich, if they're only recommending it under B, then the judge can reject it and give the guy prison time. So this was a lot of shenanigans right. going on. Okay, the judge, obviously, I wasn't in the room and I haven't seen the plea agreement. So I'm, you know, speculating and guessing a little bit, sure. but it's perfectly apparent to me, perfectly apparent to me. And you can put this in the bank that basically they were trying to wrap up this whole case, um, you know, with this, which is absurd. And then came the real shocker, which is the government with a straight face told everybody in the court that it's, it's a continuing investigation. Let me unpack that real quick. The reason they did that <laughs> was so that they no, no, no. So they could turn around and tell Congress, we're not giving you these documents we have an ongoing investigation. They got oh. killed on their own petard today because the judge said, well, wait a minute. If it's continuing, could you charge him with foreign agent registration, for example? And their faces must have got all red. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we could charge him with that. And everybody was just going nuts. I mean, the point is you can't immunize, as you highlighted it when I said it a minute ago, you only immunize for the crime at hand. Like, let's say I robbed the bank, and that's all I've done wrong, okay? It says in the plea agreement, in return for Doug Burns' plea to the reduced charge of assisting robbing a bank, I'm just making that up, he will not be charged any further for any bank robbery crime in the month of May of that year. That's it. Now, I, my head hits the pillow. I'm fine because I know I didn't do anything else wrong. Here, there's so much concern because there's so much other exposure. 
Yeah. Now, listen, I'm deducing what you're saying, and it sounds to me, Doug Burns, that the uh, I'm and you tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm really no, no. what it sounds Go right ahead. It Please. sounds as if the prosecutors put this deal forward. They, they said, here's the plea we're offering. <clears throat> the attorneys say, all right, yeah, yeah, we like this, but we like that. And then they make these changes. Whatever crazy stuff happened yesterday with the phone call and trying to remove the uh, the amicus information, whatever, all that aside. And they show up saying, you know, trying to pull like a last minute. But, well, by the way, we want to do this or we want to include that or whatever papers they submit that day are broader. Like you said, trying to sneak something in. And then the prosecutors say, look, we are trying to be as good as we can with you here, but we can't be that good. Does that seem like it would possibly fit that scenario? No, no, that's a great point. Great point. And I'll tell you why. What really happened, and I don't really claim credit, I've been reading editorials and op-eds and online articles all day long and watching cable, but the point is um, the DOJ knows that there are people like me and all the others who are just going to calmly call them out if they go way, way, way too far. And I think mm-hmm. what happened was, yep, and, and your exact point, Rich, you just made it. So they turn around and say, we can't. We can't put in here that it binds every district in America. I'm just making that up because I haven't seen the plea agreement. We can't put in there that he's immunized for any potential crime from 550 B.C. till today, to use my joke, uh, which isn't a joke, but you get it. And the point is, so they, they, they realize, and this is not to be corny. This is a good thing. This is about accountability by experts and media people like you. Okay, we're going to call that out. Okay, the judge said, quote, these are atypical provisions in this agreement. Okay, okay. And so the point is, when, yeah, when a federal judge says that, it means that, you know, you guys went overboard. And I think, again, you sort of hit it on the head. They walked in there today realizing that now for the first time, you know, they hid the plea agreement. <clears throat> Nobody saw it. Nobody like me got a chance to look at it, having seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plea agreements <clears throat> and signed them as supervisor and everything else. And the point is now all of a sudden you got a little sunlight as the best disinfectant and they really had to kind of backpedal on tap dance, it seems to me. All right, Doug Burns, stick with us. We're going to come back for another segment and wrap this thing up. Folks, we're on with Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor, uh, former chief of the criminal division uh, in the Eastern District of New York. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And our guest is Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor. He was chief of the criminal division for the Southern District of New York and the Department of Justice. It means he did a lot of this stuff, put people in jail for doing bad things. And 
as we're walking through this with Doug Burns, and follow him, by the way, on Twitter, at Doug Burns Law, I can't help but think, and again, you, you help me out. I'm, I'm piecing this, I'm literally being a conspiracy theorist right now. But I'm thinking, if you've got a U.S. attorney that's appointed by Trump, um, but still in, in whatever regard, serves at the pleasure of the president, serves at the pleasure of, of um, the general Garland, if, if that's the case, and these guys are like, look, you know, we don't want to rock the boat too much. We're going to be fair. We're going to be honest. But, you know, and maybe I'll even be a little bit, I'll help you out. I get it to your kid, blah, 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 whatever. Even, let's just say that that happened. And they said, no, but we can't go that far. I mean, people laugh us out of the city. You know, I have a career to protect here. I could also see Garland saying, listen, I don't want this thing falling back on me where you put in every district. Because ultimately that would be something um, I would presume that if there were a plea that gave that level of immunity in every district, wouldn't that have to go to Garland or at least the deputy AG? Question about it that you're on something. First of all, this thing about the Trump appointed U.S. attorney, I mean, I have two points on that. Number one, you know, I've never heard in all my years, you know, we rarely would say that a judge or, an, or a U.S. attorney right. is appointed by one side or the other. But here, Obama appointed him, by the way, and Trump kept him on. So it's, it's, it's disingenuous for all these, you know, people in media on the left to say the Trump appointed U.S. attorney. That's just misleading, and it's not really accurate. Sure. Obama appointed him, right. So that's point one. Point two, though, again, you make the key point, which is, hey, you know, look— I'll tell a little inside baseball. I have no problem saying that. I mean, you're you're sitting in the U.S. Attorney's office. A big supervisor knocks on your door. This is a hypothetical. Jimmy, I know you've only been in the office nine months, and I see you doing this investigation of Dave Smith. Um, I don't know if you're aware. You know, his father's an extremely powerful senator in in New Jersey. You know, I mean, people are human mm-hmm. beings. Okay, so the point yeah. is, you're making the exact point, which is that here's this guy Weiss. Um, and he's being directed all over the place. As far as Merrick Garland, you know, and you know, I know what I'm talking about. More importantly, because my father, my late father, Arnold Burns, was Deputy Attorney General of the United States under Ed Meese. So I know a lot of the workings and goings on at the even higher levels um, than what I was at. And the point is, um, when my father left, my late father left, he was very adamant, almost angry, saying you must depoliticize the Department of Justice, which goes to your exact point, which is you've got a U.S. attorney. We're all human beings. We're all fragile. He's investigating the son of his boss's boss. His boss is Merrick Garland, and Merrick Garland's boss is President Biden. So again, just human common sense. So let's say you were in a corporation. You just go to the law school classroom for two seconds, and it's like I'm doing an internal corporate investigation of the CEO's son, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that's what this is. So there you have it. And the point is, all that we legal analysts can do is give a meaningful, in good faith, objective analysis. And when I saw that he was getting two misdemeanors off of that level of tax charge, you know, it raised my eyebrows. You know, there are cliches like every case is different, and let's look at the facts and so on and so right, forth. Right. <laughs> uh, but then when I saw that they were DPing a gun charge, I'm like, because don't forget, 
they faked out 90% of the country, including a first cousin of mine who's a Harvard Law School graduate. Admittedly, he didn't practice law and he never did criminal law, but he says to me, oh, I see he's taking the felony gun count, Doug. I mean, if you're fooling a Harvard Law School graduate with that, you're fooling 90% of the public. There's no gun charge. It's, it's not even filed in court, by the way. People don't realize that. Um, in this a deferred is that diversion program. Yeah, that's not even filed in court as a charge. And if you complete what was six months here, they're saying two years. That's another spin, in my opinion, But the, because our normal DP period is six months. But be that as it may, once you complete that, the case is dismissed with prejudice, and that's it, and it's never brought. So when I saw the terms of the plea, I was a little surprised. And then you don't have to be a rocket scientist in Houston to say, well, wait a minute, with Trump, it's 37 counts every minute, and they're going to bring another years. indictment, you know, 100 years in prison. And you say, well, wait a minute. I mean, the average member of the American public's got to say, well, wait, why, why, why do we have such a huge difference in approach? Because, by the way, we can finish Doug up Burns, this conversation. Doug Burns, stick with me. I, I just got to come right back with you. Folks, we're on with Doug Burns. We're going to take a quick pause, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, we're back with Doug Burns. We're wrapping up here. Now, Doug Burns, um, you were making a point just before we ended, and I want you to work into your your uh, your wrap-up here in uh, the minute and a half we have to, to wrap. Um, what's next with this Hunter Biden stuff? Well, no, that's a good question because now, you know, ostensibly they could go back to court and, you know, and try to uh, say, Your Honor, we have this new plea agreement. Here it is. And it'll be the same exact thing. The judge will either accept it or reject it. But, um you know, that's what's next. It'll be interesting to see. But my global point, just to repeat, is that it appeared that both sides here in this criminal case were trying to accomplish something. And the minute the barest amount of sunlight was put on it today, it blew up in everybody's faces. And that tells you a lot, Rich. Yeah. And thank God it did. <laughs> right. Yeah. Otherwise... Oh, yeah. Well, it's good for the American people. <clears throat> As Professor Dershowitz was saying today, he said it may not have been good for the DOJ may not have been good for the defendant, you know, just legal X's and O's, but it was good for the country. It's separation of powers, okay? The executive branch was doing something wrong, and the judicial branch stepped in, and that's what happened. Amen to that. Doug Burns, thanks for being with us. It's always like continuing legal legal education <laughs> when you come on board. You're like our professor. Thank you so much. Could you put and in a good word and get me credit for it? <laughs> <laughs> Will do. We'll do. I'll, no, I'll call Hunter Biden's lawyer. Okay, <laughs> He'll go. make that's it happen. Thanks, All right, brother. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to quickly go to Jeff in Wilmington, Delaware. Jeff, WDEL, go right ahead very quickly. Okay, real quickly, two things. One, um, with what the previous um, person was speaking about for the hour, I know that one of the outcomes will be there will be a remake of a famous Robert De Niro movie, and it'll be called The Not-So-Deer Hunter. <laughs> that's funny well we're going to leave it there thank you Jeff I appreciate the call and the joke um, and, and I think you're right and uh, I know you wanted to say something about UFOs so we will uh, 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 ask you to call in again uh, once we do open phones if you're still up and you're able and you're willing I'd love to hear your comment on that as well 
And straight ahead, folks, we continue the conversation. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. And we're coming right back. The city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you on this Wednesday night. I said it was Tuesday before, forgive me. And our phone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, as you know, the Hunter Biden plea deal fell apart in court today, and then it's back again from... In the ashes and it's on hold. We're going to see where it goes from here. Um, we had some analysis on that in the previous hour. There's so much to talk about in the news today, and I want to get to so much of it. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about how there was um, so much interference from what I'm going to say is the deep state, and they're all over, right? Whether it's um, deals in Ukraine to to things happening domestically, and Somebody that understands uh, the deep state at a level that I think a uh, few of us do is um, Colonel John Mills. He's uh, retired, but he's now senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. And he's been um, a national security professional serving in five different eras, the Cold War, the War on Terror, uh, watching the world in chaos, and, and now uh, with the uh, great power shutdown and the fight to save the republic. He's also the former director of cybersecurity policy, strategy, and international affairs at the Department of Defense. His brand new book, The Nation Will Follow, firsthand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. This is a book that you want to read. Colonel John Mills, welcome, sir. Rich, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. Uh, Likewise, it's an honor to speak with you. Uh, very few people, I think, that have a, a career in, in government service, as you do, uh, are willing to talk about this stuff because of, you know, the, the flack that they get. And I think it shows courage because everybody hears about it, but few people understand how it works. And I know you've written about this stuff, and we see it all the time from from malicious prosecutions to sweetheart deals to everything else that we see. And uh, foreign aid, military aid, you name it, it, it extremely express withdrawals from Afghanistan. I mean, it's just, there's so many ways that we've seen our government uh, cheat us in many ways. And it's the unknown bureaucrats, you know, behind the faces that are calling so many of the shots. So walk us through uh, what, you know, what inspired you to write this book, The Nation Will Follow, and tell us some of your firsthand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. 
Well, thank you, Rich. Yeah, in about, uh, well, it all started uh, in early 2016 when I was still in government service. And that's when I realized that uh, I had colleagues that were spying on candidate Trump uh, and then and then running a coup against president-elect and then President Trump, and it continues right to this day. And so me fighting with them, me fingering them to the Durham investigation, there actually was some good uh, things that came out of there, five criminal referrals. Uh, three of them uh, very likely came from me, by the wording, uh, from my statements to the Durham investigation. We also got Charles McGonigal, former senior FBI official in charge of counterintelligence in the New York field office, largest FBI field office in, in the bureau. Um, and he was, uh, he was the one saying Russia, Russia, Russia in early 2016, which at top level meetings inside the Pentagon and the interagency, all of a sudden, wh- wh- where did this come from? Well, it was Charles McGonagall who's now been arrested for working for the Russians. So the mm-hmm. lie of Russia, 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 a, a FBI official was running this while in office. Now, he was arrested after he retired, but he didn't just retire and says, hey, I'm going to go work for the Russians. These things have long tentacles. So, sure. so right there. So that, that's where I really, uh, but it went on, uh, and I, I made a, a number of statements to the Durham investigation, and uh, the, the fight continues to this day. And I uh, I had to get the story out there uh, and uh, kind of consider myself one of the first whistleblowers. A lot of people say, wow, this is great. Where are the other whistleblowers? But uh, over the past few months, we've had more and more. I said, just you wait. And sure enough, uh, and we had a number of FBI uh, uh, agents and officers have come forward. Um, you have uh, now, you had, uh, I think one of the best ones was, I mean, uh, was Shapley and uh, Ziegler, oh, yeah. uh, the, IRS, the IRS agents. That was just last and, week. Yeah, it was incredible, incredible showing the absolute out of control nature and suppression of the truth by uh, by politicals, but also you know the deep state, the the, the, the careerist government. So, so that's I mean, there's a lot more to the story, but I, I, I uh, that's, that's really where it all started was 2016. Sure, and and, and what a great place to start. So it, it starts with this spying on the president and uh, the 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 soft coup to to try and sabotage him from being able to to a to govern and b to be reelected uh now now we're seeing it like you said uh extending into these multiple prosecutions uh, our previous guest was offering legal analysis and he pointed out that it, it's it's not uncommon at all it's actually very commonplace for you know somebody to be under indictment for whatever federal offense they're not going to keep piling on multiple indictments in different districts. Typically, the other districts will get with the with whatever district is carrying the case and just add those counts on or additional charges and make it one big prosecution. But with Trump, we see that anytime they can get anything, uh, they'll they'll do a separate federal indictment to continue to try to slow him down. And it doesn't surprise me because it seems like they've been doing this all along. But I am somewhat surprised that they keep doing it almost as if unabashedly, like with no shame. Is it because they think the Americans are stupid, the American public, or do they think that they're just smarter than everybody else? The answer is yes. <laughs> Absolutely. To all of those. This is, 
to break down the deep state, I call it there's essentially three groups and four corners that des- describe the deep state, and uh, that it's in the book. Um, oh, which prefaces by Stephen K. Bannon, and uh, you know he. Um, so the three groups are: you have your technocrats, and these are kind of your super experts in certain subject matter areas, and they're the ones who kind of. They have been, you know, essentially elevated onto a pedestal. Their word is uh, uh, just uh, cannot be challenged. It is, uh, it is the gospel, you know. And and the, the poster child for this is uh, um, uh, Mr. Fauci or Dr. Fauci. Um, so just kind of a, a prince of the administrative state who kind of just kind of wandered here and there and did whatever he wanted to do. Is the highest paid civilian in the government. Now with now with a security detail after he's retired, I've only heard of ex-presidents getting a security detail. So so that's the technocrats. The bureaucrats, I was a bureaucrat. I was both uh, both military and, and uh, senior civilian. And uh, it's the bureaucrats. It could be uniformed service. It could be government civilians. They both take oaths of office. It could be the support contractors, which often are very necessary to get your job done. But it, at the same time, they kind of help grow the size and the reach of government. And, and these bureaucrats, they can, also, they can be careerists. They can also be the political appointees, the 3,000 or so a president, uh, the president appoints. But this is, so these are the bureaucrats. Then you have the plutocrats, and these are the, the wealthy elite. These are the Jeff Bezos. These are the Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musk. Uh, and, and many of them have come out of recently out of big tech that have immense wealth and uh, have helped facilitate this marriage of big tech and big government. So those are the three groups. And then the four corners are, I mentioned two of them already. It's really big government and big tech. And I throw media, legacy media kind of into big tech as things are, things are evolving. But the, the other two groups are big finance. These are Larry Fink's at at BlackRock, the largest investment firm essentially in the world, couldn't care less about the American citizen, about the Uyghurs or Falun Gong or Christians in China uh, being tortured, having their uh, body parts harvested and organ harvesting, couldn't care less about the citizens of any country. Um, and then the, the fourth uh, element, is the fourth corner is a big academia. I'm all for academia. I'm, a, I'm an adjunct professor myself. I'm all for it. But in all of these groups, it has to be absolute, absolute transparency and accountability. So those are the three groups and four corners. Three groups, four corners. Sounds like a lot of work. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion with uh, Colonel John Mills, retired he's a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. And he's the author of The Nation Will Follow first-hand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. And when we come back, that's exactly the part I want to focus on is the action plan for John Q. Public, for We the People. What is it that the American people can do to combat what seems to be a nameless, faceless bureaucracy and and people feel overwhelmed, like they can't get their arms around this. So, Colonel, stick with us. We're coming right back. Folks, if you have a question, you want to join the conversation, ask the Colonel a question. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Again, our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And um, our guest, uh, retired Colonel John Mills, senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, author of the book, The Nation Will Follow, First-Hand Experiences Fighting the Deep State and the Action Plan for the American Citizen. And that's what I want to focus on. Colonel, what is it that you and me and everybody who's not in government service you know, there's a lot of people, in particular in the conservative movement, because they're so, um, rightfully so, so concerned with uh, what Reagan taught us, you know, have the government get off your back and out of your pocket. We just want to be left alone. But it's that very virtue of being left alone and being so independent that allows the government to run amok while we're not looking. So what do you recommend we do and how do you outline this in the book? Well, I wanted the book to be about action, action, action. The preface is by uh, brother Stephen K. Bannon, mm-hmm. and uh, and I really appreciate Steve writing the, the preface for the book. And uh, it, I mean, he, he describes a Damascene moment for me where I realized there was a deep state, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But the for the action plan for ninety five percent of Americans. Spend 97% of your energy right where you live in your county or county equivalent. And this is a a little bit counterintuitive for many because they say the problems in D.C., it's the swamp. Absolutely. But you have black belts, you have uh, have uh, you, Rich, you have Steve Bannon, you have me, you have others that can take care of the national fight. At the at the in the D.C. swamp, but that the D.C. swamp, the deep state stands upon the counties of our constitutional republic. The county, the county equivalent, that's thirty three hundred by the Census Bureau. It's roughly thirty three hundred county county equivalents in the fifty states and eight U.S. territories. Those are the foundation of our constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. And if you have a dirty county that the election is untrusted, county governance is untrusted, you're, it's not going to get cleaner or better as it goes up the chain. So right now, the entire country is being twisted around the finger of Maricopa County, Arizona, Fulton County, Georgia, and then the abject mess of Philadelphia. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't, I can't, I'm a resident of Prince William County, Virginia. And I'm fighting my own fight here in my county and in Virginia. And actually, I had some good successes. But I can't fight the fight for Maricopa. I can't fight the fight for Fulton. It's citizens there that have to rise up and break through the abject corruption they're dealing with. All of these 3,300 county and county equivalents have seven common centers of gravity. There's seven common lines of governance that are common to all of our counties. Again, this is the foundation of our entire constitutional system. I'm talking about the school board, the county council, the election board, the registrar, judges, uh, sheriffs, and prosecutors. These are the seven key activities. That is the foundation of our entire constitutional public. 
get to know at least one of these. Start showing up. The school board, the school board meetings start showing up. People say, well, I don't have kids. My kids are older. My kids go to a school of faith. Why should I care if the school board thinks? Well, next door, Loudoun County, Virginia says it all. And this is where the crazies have taken over the school board. And that's where they allow a uh, young man wearing a dress to go around raping uh raping uh, girls in the school and uh, all in the name of uh, equity, wokeness, et cetera, et cetera, and the cult of transgenderism. Ladies and gentlemen, you gotta, you got to fight it out right there. And that's what's raging next door in the school board uh, next, next, next door, Loudoun County. So that this is where the action is. Get off the couch, get in the game, stop bellowing on social media, and get involved. And book book two is coming out this this fall. It's War Against the Deep State, and uh, this is where you know first chapter is moms will win this war. It's because ladies are leading the way. Got to get a lot more guys in the game at the local level. Outstanding, folks. Again, we're on with uh, Colonel John Mills. Uh, he's a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy, and he's the author of The Nation Will Follow. First-hand experiences fighting the deep state and the action plan for the American citizen. Uh, now, Colonel, I've got thenationwillfollow.com as the website for the book. Is that the best place for somebody to get a copy or two? Yeah, the thenationwillfollow.com uh, is is to get the uh, get the book, uh, hard copy, soft cop, uh, hardcover, soft cover. Uh, uh, we got an audio version. We also, if you want a signed version. I have a, a just went out to uh, my store in Minnesota, and that's uh, uh, it's Mike Lindell's uh, my store. You can get an autographed copy there also. Outstanding, and let everybody know how they could follow you if you're on social media or the best place to keep up with the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I'm Colonel Rhett John, Colonel R E T John, on Substack, Getter, and Truth. Substack, Getter, and Truth. Outstanding. Well, sir, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, I think this was an eye-opening discussion, one that you know we know, but we don't always get to delve into it, and now people have an actual guide, an actual handbook. The book is The Nation Will Follow, First-Hand Experiences, Fighting the Deep State, and the Action Plan for the American Citizen. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer in getting involved one way or another, whether it's in the media, whether it's in, in government, whether it's as an activist in the community. Uh, if you can, you should, because it makes a difference. Colonel, Godspeed to you. You're a patriot. Thanks for being here. Rich, thank you so much. An honor to be on your show. Likewise. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion. Marguerite Connolly uh, with her story um, about a mother's tale of going from heartbreak to hopeful. Don't miss that. Straight ahead with me, Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. we discussed we're going to have a conversation about the new book addicted to the addicted a mother's tale of going from heartbreak to hopeful uh, marguerite Connolly 
She's principal and founder of Your Expediter, Inc., and she's written this book, um, and I want her to tell us why, because uh, there's a lot of discussion around addiction, and I'm happy to have her on the program. Marguerite Connolly, welcome. Hi, thank you. How are you? Wonderful, thanks. So let's talk about the inspiration behind the book. What was um, the catalyst for you that made you say, hey, I've got to write a book about this? Uh, I was angry. Um, My son had been in over 30 treatment centers. Uh, I had a lot of money taken from me by the so-called recovery industry. Um, And we're talking each time he was in a detox or rehab, you know, it could accumulate to $30,000, $40,000. And it was, give us your son, we can save him. And of course, as a parent, you'll do anything. So it's fine papers. Give them thirty, forty thousand dollars, and two days later, he was kicked out the door. And I was so frustrated by this, and I said, "The world has to know this is happening. I cannot be the only person, or we cannot be the only person." Um, it took, you know, quite a few years that it happened, and then finally it sank in, and I said, "I have to do something." And not only did I do the book, but I went back and I sued a couple of these. Uh, rehabs and I got my money back. I never even made it to court before they started giving me money back. So that was really a strong statement there that what they were doing was illegal. So I started writing the book um, and then just kind of letting parents know what I know. And there's a lot of ugly in this recovery industry. Well, let's talk about some of that because I think most people listening think, you know what, um, if they have a family member or a friend, they want them to go to recovery. Their, their hope is that they'll go to rehab and it'll work the first time. And a lot of people say, oh, they had to go to three or four different rehabs. And most of us on the listening side think, oh, well, they must have gone to three or four different rehabs because it wasn't effective. They, you know, they must have had a very serious addiction. But what you're saying is that there's a lot of uh, dishonesty and, and they're, they're making money off of you. Tell us how that worked out. So, you know, in the beginning, my son was 21 years old when he took his first opioid. And most parents think, you know, it happens younger when they're teenagers. Timothy started out using marijuana. um, And he chased marijuana for a long time, got in a lot of trouble, was arrested because he needed that marijuana. And then at 21, somebody gave him an opioid. So as a new parent of a child taking, you know, strong opioids, I didn't know what to do. And you hear get them out of their environment, people, places, and things. You have to get them out of their area. So, okay, I understand that. Then you ship them off to another state. And now you're trusting, okay, he's away from all of his friends. And that's just not the way that it works. What happens now is my son, for me, was not in front of me anymore. They throw him out. He was homeless, living in the streets. Um, and he went from state to state because it was always the same thing. Get him out of the environment you know, people, places, and things. He was in Texas. He was in Arizona. He was living on Skid Row. Um, He was in Florida. But I felt after a while is they just don't want him close to home because then you you see what's happening. Um, But it was the same story over and over. It was the same revolving door. Insurance fraud was amazing. They would tell him... um, they have what they call these body brokers and the body broker, Mm -hmm. you know, would see my son and now he is in the street. He is detoxing. He's sick. He needs something to help him not detox. So 
a drug dealer or a body broker will see him and say, hey, Tim, guess what? You see that kid sitting on the curb over there? And he'd say, yeah, he goes, he just got out of rehab. We want him to relapse. His parents are going to come pick him up, go sit next to him and give him these drugs. And, of course, any person that's detoxing doesn't feel well, he goes and he does that. The kid relapses, goes back into rehab. Now the body broker or the drug dealer has, you know, he's not losing his clientele at that point, you know. So wow. here come the parents, another 25, 35,000. He's back in treatment. Um, the insurance fraud was incredible. At one point, they had him in three different treatment centers at one time. I'd call the insurance company, why are you paying this? You know, and some insurance companies would see this and understand it. Like when they said, send him to Arizona, there's a nice place there. Insurance company says, we don't cover that area because there's so much fraud with the recovery over there. A lot of that out there too. And then you learn these things where when he was in Texas, he says, I can't stay in Texas. I said, what do you mean you can't stay in Texas? Because it's a state where it's capital punishment if I'm found with drugs on me. He knew he had to get to a democratic state because they were much lenient on, much more lenient on him. And he couldn't get out of there quicker. You know, so there's so much stuff that parents just don't know that it, it took me 15 years to, to know. And I still only know a little gist of it. A lot of scary stuff goes on out there. Wow. Had no yeah. idea the other side. I, th- I appreciate you sharing. Uh, folks, we're on with Marguerite Connolly. She is the author of the book Addicted to the Addicted. A Mother's Tale of Going from Heartbreak to Hopeful. And we're going to continue uh, with her story and uh, a little bit about, you know, what she's learned from this straight ahead. Of course, if you have a question or comment, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. All right, America, we're talking with Marguerite Connolly. She is uh, the author of the book Addicted to the Addicted, A Mother's Tale of Going from Heartbreak to Hopeful. And uh, it's it's an interesting story because, again, I, I just didn't know. I've never been through this, thank God. But I have had friends who have gone through this, and I didn't know there was so much insurance fraud. I didn't know how um how interesting it was and how um wise to the situation everybody was with what states to be in red states versus blue states and how how the um the laws play out but it makes sense that one would know what's going on but ultimately marguerite your story is bigger than just the malfeasance that you find with these facilities it was really a story about your own child and tell us about the actual namesake of the book. How did you come up with this name? Addicted to the addicted. You know, I said, I am addicted to chasing my son to try to save his life. And every day I would get up and I'd have to go to work, have to pay the bills. I was a single mom and I had to deal with my own, you know, health issues as, as a woman and stresses and hide the fact that my child was a drug addict and keeps this from people. And one day I got up and I said, I cannot do this any longer. 
if I continue to hide this and cry in the closet, we are losing the power of the village. I'm a mom. I need to stand up for other moms and other kids going through this, or even adults. If I, a shame on me if I don't discuss this. We are better than that. My son is ill. I love him. And every single chance I get now, I talk about my son's addiction. And Rich, you know what I get? My son What kind of response? My son too, someone will say. My daughter, my neighbor, my cousin, my mother. You will be surprised. My husband and I would be at dinner with friends of ours. I had no idea I was going through this with my son. And we hear... Oh, that one. Could you imagine this poor kid has cancer, but that drug addict there is doing good. That drug addict, she dropped dead. Nobody knew. And finally, I started speaking up because, you know, we don't understand because people are not educated on what addiction really is. When they see homeless people on the street, they don't say, oh, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's brother. And even going past that, what they don't understand is all the people in Skid Row, take a look around. Ask a question, where are their children? You know where their children? You don't see any children in Skid Row, right? You got thousands of homeless people, maybe even more. Nobody says, where are their children? You know where their children are? With their 60- and 70-year-old parents that can't afford to take care of them. That maybe their parents that were drug addicts that are dead now and died from an overdose, and grandparents are raising these children with trauma trying to bereave their own children. Like we think it stays at Skid Row and the homeless people. People don't realize it's much bigger than that. Addiction is so much more bigger than that. It's about me in the closet and trying to raise awareness. It's just so much more than that. Honest to God, it's just the whole, the whole thing is so ugly. And that's why this marijuana thing just drives me nuts because it's a stepping stone for these kids. It was a stepping stone for my son. I took him to the emergency room, Rich. He was 10 years old. I begged the doctor to tell me what my child was on. Not one person would help me or guide me. What? Not they one had person. no answer? They would They no answer. I said, give him a blood test. I want to know what he's on. They would not. It was my 13-year-old daughter who walked in the hospital and said, oh, Ma, it's so obvious. Just give him a bag of chips. Like, n- not one person would say, hey, you know what? Maybe you have to go here to this outreach is he smoking marijuana? You know, th- we didn't even know if it was laced. They refused to do it. I took him home, and that was it. You know, 10 years later at 21, somebody gave him an opioid, and it was over. Wow. And there has been, and I don't mean to make it out to be all the time, but I have um, recently read about certain um, instances where recreational marijuana was uh, laced or, or mixed with fentanyl. And this is yeah. clearly something that could be very dangerous. And I don't know if this is something people do intentionally or if it's being done to try to get people, you know, to eliminate people or, or what. But uh, it, it's a crazy thing. And I know somebody who lived in my neighborhood who um, had that happen to their 15 year old, um, uh, 15, 16, something like that. She was younger than 18 daughter and um, ended up the same thing in an ER and was very ill from this thought she was smoking weed, but it wasn't really weed. It was my sister who told me it was about three years ago. She lives in uh, Suffolk County, and there were two girls that thought they were smoking marijuana, and they got something laced, and next thing they were walking the, the halls of their school, 
taking their clothes off and vomiting all over. They just, their brains were just fried that these, these kids' lives, they're ruined. They're ruined. I was walking in the streets of Staten Island outside the St. George Hotel the other day. Mm-hmm. And there's all these kids graduating, dressed up in caps and gowns, smoking marijuana with their parents right there. And I'm like, they just don't know. Just don't know. Wow. So Folks, scary. we're on with uh, the author of the book, Addicted to the Addicted, A Mother's Tale of Going from Heartbreak to Hopeful. Marguerite Connolly is our guest. We're going to come back with her and wrap up in a moment. Uh, the website for the book is MargariteConnolly.com. You can check out the book at AddictedToTheAddicted.com. And, of course, your calls and more are coming up uh, both uh, before the end of the show and before the end of this hour and at the top of the next hour for Open Phone America. So let me give you the phone number for that, 833-482-5337. And, of course, if you want to weigh in on addiction, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our guest here, is the author of the book Addicted to the Addicted, A Mother's Tale of Going from Heartbreak to Hopeful. Marguerite Connolly, in the few minutes we have before we wrap up, uh, how does this story end? How is your son today? What headway have you made uh, with uh, your advocacy on behalf of other parents? So I had to come to terms with allowing my son to do what he needed to do or what he felt he needed to do. It was all about dignity. And I said to myself, if I'm running around trying to save his life, I'm losing my own to addiction as well. So I promised myself that I wasn't going to lose one more family member to addiction. Uh, My son now at 32 uh, lives in South Carolina as a plumber. And um, he does the the revolving door thing. He's good. He's not good. He's good. He's not good. But I can't save him. I want to save him, but I can't. I can only take care of myself and make sure that, you know, I'm okay mentally. Because if I'm running around like a crazy maniac, I'm not helping him anyway. So I had to come to terms with that. So How long did that, that take? How long did it take to get to that realization? I've been here probably about three years, but it's a lot of work. I still have to work on myself because every morning I have to get up and wonder if my son's still alive. So, but what I do do is I send him a text in the morning, good morning, Tim. And then at night I'll send him, good night, Tim, I love you. So that at least if I get that text back, I know he's okay. I know, okay, okay, he's alive. And that's my, my everyday that's my everyday ritual, unfortunately. You know, we still don't have answers. We still, you know, 
with everything we're able to do with modern medicine, we can't figure out addiction. I, I just, it drives me nuts. Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. What is your uh, advice to other parents that are going through this? Because I, I can only imagine the only way for this to not tear apart your entire family is for you to get to that realization where you say, look, I've got to let my kid do what my kid does. And I can, I don't have a kid that's an addict and I'm just thinking like, I worry about how quickly they're driving, where they're going. And I'm constantly worrying. And uh, I realize I've got to let my kid do what she's got to do. But at the same time, you know, I'm like, yeah, but it's hard to let go. And I can only imagine that's uh, the same you're going through, but so much more difficult. What do you advise other parents of addicts? Every single parent has to go through what I went through. It's a fact because you don't give up that easy. And I'm not saying that I gave up because we'll cut a limb off for our children, right? No matter what, we'll, we'll kill someone for our children. Whatever it takes to take care of them, we'll do that. But you have to get to a certain point where you say, okay, you know, there's an old slogan. If nothing changes, nothing changes. If what has been work, not working, why would it continue to work? So for me, I just said, I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to show my son that I'm not going to lose to addiction. So I went to Al-Anon. I went to codependency. I went to therapy, and I worked on myself, and I was much more healthier. There was a point where I couldn't say to my son, your way of life is not good, son. You can't do this anymore because I was so afraid that that was the last conversation I would have with him. So it was just like, I was very meek. And finally I was like, okay, Tim, if that's what you want to do and that's how it's okay, that's fine. You know, I had to work on myself. So I tell parents, work on yourself. It's the same old thing. If you're on the plane, you put the mask on yourself first before you do your child. And that's exactly what you have to do. Don't be so fast to give your money to people in the recovery industry. Don't trust anyone. These people that come in and they're these interventionists or really just body brokers and they're getting paid a lot of money to place your son in some treatment center, um, have to do a lot of homework. Really do a lot of homework before you place your kids anywhere. And don't be surprised that the first time doesn't work or the second time doesn't work. That's how frustrating it is. And let everybody know where they can get a copy or two copies of this book. You can order it on my website, addictedtotheaddicted.com, or Amazon or Bonds & Noble has it as well. All right, folks. Again, the uh, website, again, is Addicted to the Addicted. Um, if you're wondering where that beautiful accent comes from, it comes from New York, <laughs> where the best <laughs> accents in the world come from. Marguerite Connolly, I want to thank you for being with us. You're, uh, you really are a sweet woman and very, very helpful conversation to those that are going through this and for those that aren't very eye-opening. God bless you, and I hope to speak with you again soon. And folks, the music means that it's time for me to wrap up this hour, but hour number three is coming straight ahead. Our telephone number, 866-505-4626. That's our legacy line. It's open and ready for you. Or 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Coming up right now, it's Open Phone America. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, we're just getting started. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps, 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm happy to be here with you. Here's the phone number if you want to join us. This is our number three on the Wednesday edition of the program. Our phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Of course, this is the hour dubbed by Larry King and maintained by the late, great Jim Bohannon. Open phone, America. And we do open phones across America. You get to call in and discuss whatever you want. Of course, I'm going to throw a couple of topics out there. But you're you're uh, free to call in and chime in and uh, give me your thoughts on whatever. If I agree, I'll tell you I agree. If I don't agree, uh, you could still say it and I'll tell you I don't agree. And uh, we're going to have that conversation. That's what we do here. Now, I have a question, an overarching question for the whole night. You can We can talk about this all night. Will there be an impeachment inquiry? Is that really going to happen? All right. That's just one little thing I want to throw out there. Now, yes, earlier I started off the show first hour, uh, first segment talking about the hearing on UFOs on Capitol Hill. I'm going to talk about that in the next segment. But something that I want to talk about right now is Mitch McConnell. Now, Mitch McConnell, you know, I'm no fan of Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, you see, because he kind of sounds like that big that big chicken from the cartoons back in the day. What was his name? Foghorn Leghorn? Yeah, so Foghorn Leghorn, he, uh, Mitch McConnell to me sounds like him, and he looks like a turtle, you see. And because he's a turtle, uh, I, just, I just can't stand the guy. And it's really his politics, not his physicality or anything like that. It, it's not his image. It's his politics. He's a fake, phony fraud, or what others would call a middle-of-the-road, sensible Republican. Right? He's not a MAGA extremist. Um, so that's probably why I don't like him. Or at least that's what the media would have you believe. But today, he had a Biden moment, right? He did a Biden. So today we can call him Mitch El Baboso Biden, or Mitch El Baboso McConnell, because he really just lost it. And, you know, he had a brain fart or what the conspiracy theorist, uh, my friends, my dear friends, my brother Joe, would would would, uh, would say, oh, his, the computer chip, you know, because he's a cyborg, he's actually an alien with a computer chip and a fake plastic mask. He, uh, he had like a malfunction. And I want you to listen to him having this malfunction. Check this out. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're on a path to finishing the NDA uh, this week. It's been good bipartisan cooperation and a string of uh, uh... <laughs> yep. the added emphasis of cricket is how long he just stopped talking for. Give me the proof if I stop talking for that long. Hey, Mitch. Anything else you want to say? I'm sure it's good back to you. Do you want to say anything else to the press? Go ahead, John. Let's go back to you. Go ahead, John. Now, you could hear in the background what's actually going on. 
And and I don't mean to make light of this. Well, I guess I did mean to make light of it. I'm I'm making light of the situation, not of him and what may have happened, right? Because in reality, he may have been having the beginnings of a stroke. And I'm not a doctor, but I've seen people have a stroke. And it, that's what it looks like. You know, in those days and weeks leading up to that, people just stopping, blank stare, just getting stuck. And again, I'm not diagnosing him. I'm not saying I'm a doctor. I'm saying I'm a radio guy observing what I, what you know, making my observations on what I heard. But uh, you can see um, uh, Senator Barrasso saying, hey, Mitch, is there any, are you okay, Mitch? Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Now, we did add the cricket sound for emphasis because I wanted to make it funny. But the reality is that he did stop talking for a full, I don't know, 18 or 20 seconds. I could never do that in radio. They'd hit a commercial if, if that happened. They'd think I dropped dead in my seat. You know, uh, it's, it could happen to anybody, yes. But I think it, it lends itself well as evidence that Mitch McConnell's got to go, right? Let us send, join me in celebrating Mitch McConnell's farewell party. Um, we can have a different Republican in there and work on getting rid of him too. And, and listen, I, I'm usually for the Republicans, but not these guys, you know, not, not the McConnell types. They're just not it. They're not it. They're not where it's at. We're, we're, we need people that are happy to reduce the size of government to happy to stop spending the tax dollars that they steal from you and me and single moms across America. This is what needs to happen. Right. And I realize that's a fantasy land, dystopian, utopian idea but in 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 full right but in part it's not in reality we can have a smaller government we can elect people that are more conservative that say we should have a smaller government and we can do a little bit more with less or even do less with less i'm i'm okay with that too i'm okay if we never build another uh super expensive toll road at least where i live i don't we don't need another one and if we have to build one you know maybe we can have a a specific um, vote on something like that. I mean, we have to be more responsible. Like every time they wanted to raise the school budget in my town, they voted on it. And it was a, a ballot question. We have to stop spending. Look at the problem that we're in. But let's go back to McConnell. And good old Mitch, um, after, you know, he uh, abruptly stopped speaking, left and never took any questions. Um, <clears throat> he was later asked at the co press conference, what happened? Like, are you okay? And this is Manu Raju. I think he's from CNN. Listen to this one. Could you address what happened here at the start of the press conference? And was it related to your injury from earlier this year where you suffered a concussion? Is that... Yeah, well, I'm fine. You're, you're fine? You're fully able to yeah. do your job? Yeah. And he says he's fine. He's fully able to do his job. And he says, yeah. Now, I think this is one of the few times that, again, I don't know if it was appropriate in that situation. It seemed like it was to me. Uh, but we do remember when Mitch fell down, he had a black eye. He had, you know, he got banged up. And um, and they said he had a concussion, which, of course, you know, I've talked about brain injuries a number of times. My dad fell down and it wasn't a concussion. It was a brain injury. TBI, they're called traumatic brain injury. This is where you get swelling on the brain, what they call a subdural hematoma. And uh, this causes um, some temporary damage and sometimes long-term damage and cognitive deficits that can carry on for, for X amount of time. And I don't wish this upon anybody. It was hell on earth for my family and I. But I can tell you that I would never put my dad in a position to be Senate minority leader, Senate majority leader. I would not have him do Mitch McConnell's job because he doesn't have the mental acuity, the sharpness, the speed, 
the precision, what you need, right? The just the other than the edge and like and like uh, President Biden, the um, the muscle memory of knowing what to rely on. You know, you when in doubt, throw a punch, right? That was my dad and Joe Biden. When in doubt, squint and smile. Put on your aviators and tell your dog to attack. It, it, these are the the same old political machine tactics, but it doesn't change anything. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls. I see we've got calls from Pittsburgh, Michigan, Wilmington, Delaware. The East Coast is definitely representing tonight. Where are you guys at in the West Coast? I don't see anybody from California. I don't see anybody from Oregon. Come on. You guys can do better than that. Wake up. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, here we go. I see calls coming through from Oregon, from New York. Uh, where did we, we're going to start with our buddy Doc in Wilmington, Delaware, because you know what? I personally blame him. He's Joe Biden's neighbor. Doc, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you know I heard a guy, buddy. I love you to death, buddy. You know I heard a guy. Look, Thank I you. just want to uh, to uh, weigh in on one topic. One topic going. I'm going to stick to one topic. That's a, that's a Hunter Biden gun, gun scam. All right, that's all yeah. what it is. I'm a gun guy. I'm ex-military. I've been a gun guy. I'm molested. I'm, I'm, I'm I'll be 70 in January. I've been a Happy gun guy time. since I was in my teens in the Boy Scouts and hunted with my uncles in the, in, in the midwestern forests of Michigan and elsewhere. Having said that. Uh, Mr. Rich Valdez, if this was Doc doing this gun purchase and lying on a form, or uh, or Rich Valdez or Doc, we'd be in jail. Going right to jail. Now. I'll tell you what the penalty is. Going to jail. States. Mm-hmm. He'd be in a jail. The minimum term for lying on a federal form is five years in jail, hard time, no parole. Five years in jail with a permanent record. Okay, minimum. And they term. will happily and- prosecute you because nobody loves uh, putting somebody in jail more than people who lie on gun forms. Yes. And that is bipartisan. Got bipartisan support. Hundred percent. Never met a prosecutor who was like, you know what? We're going to have leniency here. Right. So this Hunter Biden stuff, I can't prove what he did abroad. I have my suspicions, but let's leave that alone. This gun crime stuff is very serious. He lied on a federal form. The guy should be in jail. That's my that's my point that I'll make tonight. That's a solid point. It's a very solid point. Now, let me. I just want to ask you a question uh, about the aliens. Uh, about the UF. We've heard testimony today under oath by Mr. Grush. He is a former uh, Department of Defense uh, analyst and uh, intelligence person. He says that he has knowledge and uh, some hearsay knowledge that we, the, we being the federal government, has recovered aircraft that was from a uh, UFO and that they have non-human 
non-human biologic parts that were recovered from the pilots of this UFO. What say you? I believe it. Here's why. Um, I've been following UFOs ever since I was a kid. I was just interested in them. I, I saw them in the Midwest um, with my parents at night, and I saw them over a place you know very well. My mom and I were going, were visiting my dad's family in Delaware. We would we would summer in Wildwood, New Jersey. You know you know oh, the town very well. Of course, well, I love Jersey. Wildwood. That was my first Wawa. I'll tell you the story. We were on a Ferris wheel at the top, mom and myself, and uh, we saw this object glowing very brightly in the sky, but it was doing zigzags. It was not doing flying like an airplane would. Didn't have airplane. It was a very very bright object. And it came close. We could see that it was a small, good-sized flying disc, and then with lights on it. And then it zigzagged all across the sky over a while and took off like a bat out of you know what. And then and the next day in the papers, it was reported that everybody had seen that same object. I believe these things have visited this earth, and I, be, I believe there's, a, there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. I believe we're not alone. And I believe that the Roswell crash that's rumored all over the, all over the web or something like it, it happened. I believe they recovered the... Uh, the UFO attacked, and that they recovered parts of our, our, our intact humanoid bodies from another, 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 another galaxy somewhere out in the middle of nowhere. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good opinion, Doc. In Wilmington, Delaware, I salute you, my friend. Thank you for uh, your service to the country and for the, your great opinions uh, when you call in. Let us continue our journey. Let's go from Delaware and uh, to uh, let's see, blah 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 blah. Let's go to Saratoga, New York. WGDJ, check in with Jane. Jane, how are you? Hi, Rich. I'm fine. How are you? Um, I'm great. Two, two quick. So I, I do believe there are aliens, and um, I, I would hate. Wouldn't you guys hate to think we're the smartest thing out there? Really? I, I, I do that every day. I get up. I'm the smartest guy in right now. I'm kidding. Listen, Jane. I want to have a question. There, my question is not whether we believe or not. My question is. Do we care? Do we care that the government has these these people, these non-human biologics? And I, I don't mean answer however you want. I I honestly right. don't. But no, it doesn't matter to me. If we've gone all these years, obviously they don't want to hurt us, or they would have wiped us out a long time ago. I remember in the '60s when we had many spottings in Miami sightings, and um, yeah, I mean I think it's been going on forever. And um, I, it doesn't I bother me, no. But it real doesn't... quick now. Go ahead. Huh? Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, okay. no. Please. Uh, as far... <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, as far as Biden, and when he's out there making such a fool of himself, you know who I resent the most in all this is Jill Biden. Hmm. I know when my husband had cancer toward the end, he he would get so confused, and he would want to go to work. He was a chemist, and I would find something else so that he didn't step out and and act foolish. And um, I think she's deplorable for letting her husband be in a spotlight where he's constantly made fun of. I I, I don't like him. I can't stand him. But still, um, I, it just doesn't seem right. It seems like that would really bother a wife to see that being done to her husband and just having him step away. But maybe she's too busy <laughs> with Harris. Yeah, and husband. honestly, you know, I, I, I've heard this before and I agree. I think, look, uh, having been a caregiver to my dad who, who went through what 
what the doctors call TBI, related dementia, because of the, the fall he took and the brain injury he sustained. I, I can tell you that I would not have put him in a situation like that, and I would have done everything I could to protect him from being embarrassed and not looking his best. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, Jill Biden does not do that, the first lady. However, I could see, I don't agree, but I could see the other side of the coin where she would say something like, look, his whole life, Joe Biden's run for president, I think nine times. And I, I could see her saying he's always wanted to be president. And now that he's here, just because he doesn't have his, his faculties, doesn't mean that we're going to we're going to cut and run. Right. We're, we're going to make sure I'm going to make sure that my husband completes the, his dream, what he what he's always wanted to do, what he set out to do when he was 33 years old and became a uh, the, the youngest uh, or 29 years old and became the youngest senator out of Delaware. And and I think she could sell that in a very inspiring way where people would, you know, cry and, and applaud and feel like, man, this lady's terrific. I just don't buy it. But I could see how a lot of people would, Jane very selfish and and he has been and made dangerous. fun of he's he's not yeah and very dangerous for america yeah and um yeah it just seems deplorable to it, me and it is I hurtful know it, it and i guess i can remember my husband was a brilliant chemist brilliant and he would go a couple of times we went to a dinner and he'd start talking and it would make no sense and i felt so horrible for him, and so I explained to his friends. I said, "Please, don't put us on the spot anymore. I'm, I'm going to distract him, and I would take him fishing or <laughs> do mm. anything to to get Tough. his mind off of wanting to be up front." So, yeah. So, well, Jane, thank, thank you for you. sharing you that. Yeah, Thanks. no, you bet. I appreciate you and your candor, and uh, all of you, and Doc as well. And I wanted to, to share uh, just a quick story. I'm looking at this. This is an interesting thing. Uh, people are wondering if there's a simple explanation for the UFO sighting. UFO sighting. Guess where? Wildwood, New Jersey. Yep. Uh, there's a witness that reported seeing a UFO about a month ago, June 24th, a year ago, excuse me, a year and a month ago. And um, they saw these UFOs in the skies over Wildwood, New Jersey, saying they looked like satellites, just two little dots of light. And uh, that's that's the question. When we come back, we'll find out if, in fact, it was a UFO or not. Plus, I want to talk about, guess what? The Fed raised interest rates yet again. Of course, we knew that was coming, but we're going to uh, we're going to talk about that as well. Don't go anywhere. It's open phone America. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming back. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. raised the target range for the federal funds rate by a quarter percentage point, bringing the target range to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. I would say it is certainly possible that we would raise funds again at the September meeting if the data warranted. And I would also say it's possible that we would choose to hold steady at that meeting. We're going to be making careful assessments, as I said, meeting by meeting.
That is uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell announcing that the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates again to a 22-year high. That happened today, just a month after a brief respite in hikes uh, during the central bank's race to bring down historic inflation. Now, remember, uh, inflation is at a 42 or 43-year high. Now, the Fed uh, hiked the baseline interest rate, uh, the range, by a quarter point. So we're now between five and a quarter and five and a half percent. This is the 11th rate hike since March of 2022. Um, For many, they're saying this is making them dizzy from near zero rates at the beginning of last year. Uh, You know, Trump was uh, 1.4%. So... It sucks. Now, of course, listen, I can't get into this fight anymore. I can't. I just can't. I don't have. They do not pay me enough money to get into this fight. But I get into it all the time with people. And they're like, well, you know, it's it's Trump that caused the inflation and blah, 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 and blah. And, and they bring it back to Obama left us a surplus. And I, I just can't. I can't. Listen, I agree that when the top medical guy and the rest of the the clowns that said to shut down the economy said shut down the economy. I saw Trump go along with that reluctantly, but he did for X amount of time. And then it it just, it went on too long. Then he left office and and Biden said, no, we're going to do this. Oh, we're going to do that. Oh, we're going to, and he kept going and he said, oh, we're going to get more money and another stimulus and another one. And then we're going to do the build back better. And we're going to do the American rescue and we're going to do this. And I mean, it was just, it went from from two trillion to four trillion to six trillion. I mean, th- this is massive money that entered was injected into our system, and of course, it devalues our own money, and of course, it creates inflation. I, I mean, there's no other way to look at this. Now, a lot of people want to say, no, 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 it's because of COVID. No, 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 it's because supply chain. Look, all of that's true in in so much as it's true, but it's not the reason. It's not what happened. And when they, I love it when they say, oh, inflation's global. It's a global thing. Yes, it is. But what isn't when you're such a major trader like the United States? When everybody on the planet uses your dollar as the reserve currency. Don't you think if we have inflation and we're having supply chain issues that everybody else is going to have them too? Duh. And don't you think that if we're devaluing our own currency by injecting and printing more money, quantitative easing, whatever you want to call it, putting more money into into our economy, that's not going to have an effect around the world. I'm not an economist like Steve Moore or EJ Anthony or the rest of these brilliant men that come on this program, but I can tell you, I know that much. I mean, it's absolutely uh, stunning to me that we even have to have this conversation about who caused inflation, where, when, why, and how. I won't do it. I refuse. Anyway, um, so that's the story from Jerome Powell. And... It's uh, it's uh, it, it is what it is, right? This is what they're going to do until they get it under control. Um, what we need to get under control is is the craziness that's going on with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, all these investigations that people think is just a a witch hunt, right? That people think is just uh, a political game. That's what happened to Trump, and it's not because uh, I I am a conservative and I, I I favor Trump's policies. No, it's because that's just the reality. Right. What's Trump been convicted of? Nada, 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 not a damn thing. Anyway, let's go to Brody. Brody's uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening 
to the oldest station in America, KDKA. Brody, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Since November 2nd, 1920. Boy, am I glad I wasn't born then. My uh, back would really hurt me. And uh, I'm born in 1968, and I'll tell you what, I just want to say foremost, you filled the void for a lot of people in the world, and I say this from my heart. I miss Jim Bohannon very much. I hope that you are always on the radio, and one day you will deserve those radio awards because you're just a fantastic American and human being. And and I, I mean that from the heart, sir. It's just I listen to you every night. And the first thing, very briefly, on the UFOs, very briefly, don't you think when the UFOs flew over Wildwood, West Virginia, do you think that they would look to see why is this the only state where they can't pump their own gas in Jersey? Do you think that they would scratch their heads and go, I don't know, I don't understand that. But it's one of those weird things about, because I'm a half a New Yorker, dad's born in Pittsburgh, and my mom's from the Bronx. Oh, wow. How did they meet? Yeah, the Bronx. Jesus <laughs> Avenue. I, I, I didn't know that second, people from Pittsburgh went to the ground. Bronx. Oh my God! Yeah, my my grandfather was a was an immigrant, came over in 1928, and on my dad's side from Russia, landed in Pittsburgh. I'm glad my parents met, had me, and only me, and I'm who I am. And uh, I just I just love it. I get so excited. Rich Valdez with an S. How many miles from Madison Square Garden? 17 miles. 17. The excitement is too much to contain. Uh, you're <laughs> you're just, the best. And I just want to say, I, you are the best. And I just want to tell you that um, it, it's just we gotta we got to get a little uh, understanding on what's going on here, and, and we're tired of the fight. You know how you said I'm tired of the fight? I never come on, and I never fight with anybody, whether they believe in what I believe in or not. Mm-hmm. I like to have a debate like in the old days. That's what we did. Sure in the 1980s. And I just, my opinion is the Biden family and the Bidens, he's, he's the worst president in the history of time. And that's it. I'm an American and I have every right to say that. And whatever yes, happens, happens. And I just like, and I, and I, for law enforcement and I don't want wildness on the streets. I don't want riots and looting. I like law abiding citizens. And we have to get a little bit of normalcy in the world You know, the Republicans back in the day, grand old party, really were a little bit more religious, a little bit more afraid of the new ideas of the changing of America, especially in the counterculture of the 60s. It was a big thing back and forth. But I just want to say, like, we're all American. We need to embrace each other on our differences. And it can't the law can't be lopsided. And I feel that um, with with what has happened with uh, whether you like Donald Trump or not, I mean, he's from Queens. Hey, he, he speaks his mind. Let me tell you something. You know, I, I have a filter on me. I'm kind of like I try to be low, like diplomatic, you know, yeah, yeah. very, very low key and diplomatic. But I just wanted to say that I just really hope that everything works out and I'll be listening to you till 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 KDK will always be on the air. And, and these Amen. fine radio stations. Okay. Amen to you, Rich. Nice talking Thank to you. Thank you, Brody. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your kind words. And, and I, I, I agree with uh, everything you're saying. I, I think uh, we have reached a point where how much more protection can the Bidens get? You know, I had this debate uh, with uh, my buddy from the Cuban coffee place who sold his place, by the way. Sold his place. It's going to become a, uh, a Ecuadorian place. And I have yet to check them out. 
Uh, but we, he and I will remain friends. They're, they're wonderful people. But the point I'm making is we were he was saying, come on, wouldn't you expect if the police chief's daughter gets caught in something or son, if their kid gets caught, that they're not going to be shown leniency or if so-and-so's kid, what makes you think it's going to be any different for somebody who's in the White House? And I said, look, that is a fair point, not one that I necessarily agree with, but I get it. Powerful people, their kids get away with a lot more. Understood. I agree with that. I I don't support it, but I I think it's a true statement. However, when, you know, something Doc brought up or even Doug Burns, our first guest, I mean, the stuff that we're seeing right now, this is beyond the pale. These people are out of control. It's one thing to look the other way, to do a little bending here and there. This is not a little bending. This is not, I forgot to send my, you know, my tax bill on time, you know, for, for $3,000. You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars on millions of dollars of, that were unpaid uh, taxes, bribes, proof of bribes, <laughs> uh, witness statements of bribes on government documents, the FD23, uh, 1023 form. I mean, this stuff is, is heavy duty. So, Brody, I agree with you. Uh, we, we have to do better. We have to. It's not about Democrats and Republicans or or conservatives or liberals. This is about Americans. And as Americans, we need to focus on law and order, helping each other, making sure we have a safe country and a decent place to live. And all of that right now is on the line. Folks, your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. If you haven't figured it out, that is nothing compares to you by Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor, the Irish singer who uh, rose to fame with this song, uh, passed away today at the age of 56 years old. O'Connor was uh, also known for her controversy, including boycotting the Grammys, which uh, I think a lot of people would support her on, and ripping up a photo of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. Now, for the record, I, for years, I've loved the Grammys. I've actually even had, I've hosted some really good Grammys parties. Um, I don't always agree with their performances and whatnot, but um, I like music and I love to celebrate music, hip-hop in particular. And uh, I think yesterday I mentioned that I, I went to a, an impromptu hip-hop concert inside of the MLB store, the Major League Baseball store, because they brought back the Bronx bomber jacket uh, with the that says Yankees or Brooklyn or whatever. And um, they unveiled those, and I got invited to that cool party, and it was a, it was a good time. But that was an ADD moment. <laughs> Going back to Sinead O'Connor, uh, my condolences to her, her family. Um, it's a tragic loss, I think. You know, when you lose somebody so young, we don't know why we lost her. We just know that she was uh, a heck of a singer, had a haircut similar to mine, 
and Godspeed to her, right? What, what else can we say? Now, keeping it on Hollywood and getting back to your calls momentarily, Kevin Spacey. Now, Kevin Spacey is one of my favorites, and a lot of people, um, you know, he fell out of grace with a lot of people because he was charged with sexual assault. And people said, oh, my gosh, this guy's one of those guys. He's a weirdo, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? He was found not guilty on every single count and acquitted by a jury in London. So Kevin Spacey, innocent. And uh, honestly, I'm happy for the guy. Uh, If he did it, then shame on him. But if he didn't, I'm glad he's off the hook because that's one heck of a show that he had there, right? House of Cards, what a show. And I think that last season where he wasn't in it and it was just um, his TV wife, Claire, Right, I think that was her name. Uh, it just wasn't the same, and she's a heck of an actress. But honestly, it just wasn't it. But yeah, the uh, Oscar-winning actor Kevin Spacey, not guilty. Maybe I will bring this up with Lauren Conlin, our entertainment reporter, when she joins us. I think she's scheduled to join us tomorrow. So we'll throw these topics at her and get her reaction to those as well. But I just wanted to bring you some of that news because it happened today. And I want to get back to talking about everything under the sun with you all, my beloved listeners. Let us go to Kim. She's in Shields, Michigan. She's also listening online to the oldest station in America, KDKA. Kim, go right ahead. Yep, KDKA. And I love it online. It's so crisp and clear and stuff. Um, What I'm calling about is Hunter Biden, and I think there's a real significant reason why he doesn't want to do prison time. Um, Yeah, the same reason I don't want to do prison time, right? (laughs) Yeah, but he also has multiple addictions, crack, cocaine, pornography, sex, money laundering. And he says (laughs) he's not addicted anymore. But and another thing. With this gun crime, in Michigan, if a gun is involved in a crime, it's a mandatory two-year firearm sentence. That's above and beyond any other charges. And they were going to let him walk away. And the other thing is, is it's been said that he's money laundered for his family between 20 and 100 million. You were just saying that. But Mm. he was going to. Uh, plead for not paying taxes on $2 million? Uh, You know, and just one other thing, when that mm. John Paul McIsaac, the computer store oh, sure. owner... sure, we had him on the when, program. Yeah. When Hunter went in there to drop off his computer originally, um, he said, you know who I am. He said, Biden... And um, John Paul McIsaac didn't say it out loud, but he said the Bidens are well known for not paying their bills, you know. Oh, boy. And he did. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't remember I that part, if, but it is funny. Yeah. And I wonder if um, if they can now pay their bills that Hunter's brought home between 20 and 100 million for the whole clan, nine of them, you know. Yeah, Kim, I want to ask you a question. Tell me, um, well, listen, I think these guys are guilty of sin. That's my opinion. But I want to know, does it matter to you if we have uh, UFOs or not? Um, I think we do. And I'm curious about that one that happened in Las Vegas about a month or two ago. 
I wonder why we're not seeing any pictures. And there's some video of that. The police officer was out responding to another crime. He caught the bluish bluish green craft as it like burned and came into the atmosphere and stuff. And and you know what I mean? Those people were all adults, probably had cell phones. Why didn't they have any pictures? And did they? I don't know, Kim. I got to take a quick break right here. But a uh, fascinating topic. Everybody thinks we have them. I still don't know if anybody cares. I think I'm the only one that's like, I don't care. Leave that for the hours of 1 a.m. to 5 a.m., right? <laughs> I end at 1 a.m., and I don't want to talk about UFOs. But I thought it was interesting today. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate your comments. We're going to continue straight ahead with your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now is not the time for Americans to be in Ukraine, and we had nothing to do with Mr. Reid being there. We have not only not encouraged Americans to go fight in Ukraine, but actively and energetically urged them not to. And so I won't speak uh, for Mr. Reid. He can speak for himself and the decisions he made. Uh, but I can assure you, and, and anybody in Moscow can look at what we've said and be equally assured that he went of his own accord. All right, we're talking about Marine veteran Trevor Reed, who was uh, released by Russia in a prisoner swap. And that's Admiral John Kirby there banging on the uh, podium. Uh, He was hurt now recently, a few days ago, by fighting in Ukraine. Anyway, let's quickly go to Michael in Pendleton, Oregon. We got less than a minute to go. K-U-M-A. Michael, what's going on in Ukraine? Hey, Rich. Good good to talk to you. I got an article from the Washington Post uh, on Ukraine. It said right now Ukraine is the the country that has the most landmines. About a third, 30 percent of the country has landmines, and these could take many, many years. I read the same thing, and that they're, yes, you're right, and they could cause a lot of problems, and they were using them to protect their power supply. Um, so we'll, we'll continue that conversation. Michael in Pendleton, Oregon, thank you for calling in, representing the West Coast. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. We're doing it again tomorrow. Until then, keep it locked right here. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.